Welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with the VP of People for SNCC, Dipti Salopek. Dipti and I are going to cover a range of how she is guiding their company and employees through the COVID-19 outbreak. And we're also going to talk about their decision to open source their own response plans. Uh, Dipti and SNCC were actually the second response plans added to the open source Google Doc after Coinbase got the ball rolling by opening theirs at the very early stages of this. So we're going to talk about all of that and more after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called the Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am very excited to be joined today by the VP of People for Sneak, Dipti Salopek. Dipti and I are going to talk about how she is leading their global team and operations through COVID-19 and uh, and really uh, talk about all the kind of back-end HR and people mechanics that support the dynamic decision-making that's taking place. So, um, just as a quick timestamp, today is Friday, March 27th. This episode is going to air on Monday. So uh, anything that happens between now and Monday will not be reflected in this discussion. So Dipti, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, why don't you give the listeners just a brief introduction and background on you? Sure. Thanks for having me, Lars. Um, so I'm Dipti Salapak. I am the VP of People at Sneak. I have been in the tech startup space for a long time now, knocking on 10 years maybe, um, and I enjoy it. It's at the best of times, it's incredibly vibrant and, and maybe even volatile, and it's never been more so than right now. And um, for me, it's just, it's something that I really enjoy and grasp. Yeah, and so th there's a lot that I want to cover with you in terms of you know how you're kind of leading Sneak through this. But even before we get there, like how are you doing? I know you're based in New York, I believe. So obviously there's a lot going on at this stage of the outbreak in New York. So how are you? I'm fortunate enough to be well. Um, no one in my family or my immediate friend circle has actually gotten ill. It's something that I'm very conscious of and watching. Um, I do know that colleagues in our company haven't been as lucky themselves. And so it's not something that I take lightly or for granted. But right now, um, I'm doing as well as I could be. And I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah. And so, you know, New York is obviously experiencing the brunt of this in the U.S. You know, right now and, and for the most part is on lockdown. How is that impacting, you know, your life, your your employees life? I know you have employees around the world, but, uh, you know, you've got a big hub in New York. So what is the um, what, what is the kind of perspective today of what it's like to be there in New York? Um, so we are incredibly lucky and we normally live in a, man in a small apartment in Manhattan, but we also have a little house that's a couple hours away in the countryside. And so we've actually absconded there for the past couple of weeks, but I keep closely in touch with my friends in the city and they're incredibly concerned and they're taking quarantine very seriously, but unfortunately 
not all New Yorkers are. And half of me understands that, that people need to go out. People are living in small apartments and it can drive you crazy to be in quarantine. But the other half of me finds it so disappointing and, and just so incredibly irresponsible. I think like to me, I'm genuinely worried about where we are in the city and how people still aren't recognizing the full gravity of the situation. Yeah, I think that that is is certainly a, a reality in a lot of cities. I think New York just has so much unique complexity to it just based on the density alone and public transit and lots of people living in studio apartments and um, you know just really confined spaces. So it, it's a really difficult um, you know situation that I, you know, I'm glad at least for you yourself, you're able to, to, to get outside the city um, to, to hopefully ride this out for a while. Um, I want to get into how you know Sneak has been responding, but for listeners that aren't familiar with the company, maybe if we could just level set, if you just give a, a bit of an overview of you know the business and the operations and where you have people today. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So firstly, just to understand what Sneak is, we're a developer-focused cybersecurity firm. So essentially, in a world where software development is kind of cannibalizing every industry we can see, whether it's e-commerce or or finance or whatever, there's an incredible amount of pressure on engineering teams to ship code quicker, faster, to scale quickly. And so teams are relying more and more on open source, where they're getting their codes from, which is phenomenal, but also importing unvetted code can introduce a lot of vulnerabilities into your infrastructure. I mean, you see all the time, there's a breach in Capital One, there's a breach on some cards in different in different companies. These come from vulnerabilities in your infrastructure. So what Sneak does is we're scanning these vulnerabilities from open source code and fixing them. And that's how we're helping developers just write code that's more secure and faster. Right? Um, as a company, we're 300 employees. Until I, until I would say this specific blip, we'd been growing incredibly fast. We've been doubling in size every six months. Um, we have hub offices in Tel Aviv, London, Boston, and Ottawa. Uh, and 25% of our workforce that's just remote and works from, well, wherever we can find talent, to be honest. Yeah. And so, you know, the the offices in the cities where you have hubs, um, you know, some of those, you know, London, uh, obviously, are kind of on the... Uh, you know, in the spot with uh, an increasing number of cases. How are you adapting your your kind of response plans per region? Do you have a blanket approach? Like, how are you, uh, you know, are you localizing your responses? And if so, how? We initially started with that, but honestly, that, I've got to say that was like four weeks ago and oh, it's right. outdated. And since then, we have tried to stay as globally consistent as possible because the first thing we saw is that the virus has been such an equalizer. So it kind of doesn't matter what country, what race, what gender, what social class, like nobody's immune from it and everyone's equally exposed and equally vulnerable. And so we kind of took a step back. What I've found is not like our policies that have been the differentiator globally, but rather the government responses. So Israel, where we have a big office, like I was saying in Tel Aviv, the government was two or three weeks ahead of anything we saw in the U.S. Like we weren't even talking about it here. And already in Israel, they were talking about travel bans and quarantining and shutting borders. And we ended up taking so many of our cues from them learning from their information rather than our own government. And I'm really glad, I'm thankful for it because it's because of that that I feel like Sneak, we were two or three weeks ahead of the curve on a lot of the activities we implemented. 
Yeah. And like in UK, they're only starting, I think like as of two days ago, the government was uh, was talking about now quarantining people and stuff. But our employees, but we, we kind of moved to remote work a couple of weeks ago and our employees were honestly so grateful. They finally felt that someone was taking their well-being seriously. And like I could just see the memes and jokes about what the government was doing. So it's really the governments that I've seen huge disparities in. But like we as a company have kind of taken the stance that globally we're going to treat everyone the same and care about everyone in the same way. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I think companies that have global operations, particularly those with operations in Asia, you know, and even even EMEA, um, they had some advance warning, right? Because they, their operations there were impacted. And so I think that this got on their radar uh, much earlier, which, you know, the velocity at which this on this kind of spread and, and you know, became such a, a global phenomenon um, happened within a you know, period of, you know, for those that weren't paying attention, seemingly days, right? And for, the, for those who were and had operations that were, you know, either had countries and governments that were ahead of the curve uh, or, you know, operations that were facing kind of peak pandemic uh, earlier in the process, I think that they, they had definitely uh, an advantage when it came to preparing um, one, you know, speaking of preparing, one of the, uh, things that, uh, that, that we had talked about even before this podcast was, uh, your contribution to that open source, um, you know, Google doc around coronavirus HR comms. And I think is as a, uh, as a collective, if you will, right. As HR leaders uh, around the world, you know, we were all looking, uh, in a lot of ways to each other and to our kind of peer networks, uh, around how other organizations were responding to help that, you know, inform, how we would advise our own leadership teams. And I think, you know, Coinbase was the first company to kind of go out and sure. uh, open source theirs. Um, but Sneak and, you know, you were the second. And I want to make sure that, uh, A, you do get that credit. I know you didn't do it for the credit, but I think it's important to recognize leaders that were stepping up and uh, and kind of paving the way to, you know, a lot of ways encourage, uh, you know, other HR leaders to share their own work and their own playbook. But uh, what was the, what was the thought process behind your, you know, what, what compelled you to, uh, to share that? Why was it important you to contribute back? Yeah, for, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but I'd say first, even when you think about our company, our mission is around protecting and supporting open source. So we believe so strongly that the in the value of open source for the greater good of the community as a whole, right? So it's just an underlying value system. But then on top of that, when you think when we're in crisis, like that's not a time to compete with each other. That's not a time to harbor information and try and get that edge over someone else. This is a crisis that's affecting society as large. And it is, it was just a moment when we absolutely knew that if there was anything that we could produce that could help anyone else out there, um, then we're super happy to. And even like those guides that I feel like they're outdated now because we published them so long right. ago. And But still today, I'm getting notes from people that are like, I'm so grateful that we had this source of support. So it makes you realize that there's always someone out there somewhere that actually still might need something. Um, so the more you can just push out there that you might not even need anymore that can help someone else in a crisis like this, that's amazing. And I would say that we might have been early on that because like we had the geographic advantage, like some of those things you referenced, but we were not the only ones at all. The HR community as a whole has really stepped up in a way that I've never experienced before and to to such a different extent. And I kind of feel like there's no going back from the level of collaborativeness we've built now. It's amazing to see how we've come together as a community. And I hope it's a precedent for how we collaborate on a lot of things going forward. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. I mean, I think that the the level of, you know, A, just the mindset that we're all in this together. 
Um, you know, and again, like you said, it's not, uh, it, it's no longer a competition thing. It's like, it's a collective. It's how do we, how do we all help each other? Because basically what one company, uh, you know, learns from a process, if everybody can tap into that and accelerate their own learning by, you know, even incrementally, there's an advantage to that. And there's a collective advantage when, when everybody can do that. So I think that the days of, um, kind of working in silos of legacy HR, uh, I, I think are fundamentally shifting and, and, uh, to a person, anybody who is able to kind of tap into that, uh, that open source, you know, capability and understanding is going to be better for it. And they're going to be, you know, more effective for it. And so, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be hard to go back to an environment that, uh, that is again, you know, more built on, on silos than, uh, than openness. Uh, once, you know, once we're on the other side of this, whenever that might be. Um, exactly. Absolutely. How do you, you know, as this continues to unfold, you obviously have, you know, 300 employees, they're, they're all around the world. How are you working and kind of collaborating with your leadership team to be making kind of adjustments on a week to week or even day to day or hour to hour kind of basis as this continues to unfold? Yeah. Firstly, I, I should just say I'm so incredibly proud of our people team within Sneak, of our executive team, of the employees who have like adapted to this as we have, right? Like literally within days, we moved to, oh, we got to clean our offices to actually we're just going to work from home to actually there's going to be a global travel ban to then it was you had your children at home and we had to figure yeah. out how to work with that. I mean, like every single day there was something new. Um, and we've adapted to it incredibly fast. And you, the first thing I should say is like, and you you don't always get this as a people leader. So I really want to call it out that we have here an executive team that truly puts people first in, in, and that means that every time I have suggestions, feedback, I want time, I want sponsorship, I want attention, I want support. There is no hurdle and no shortage um, of support on any of those fronts. So that's been an amazing experience to be, to have to be empowered to react as quickly as we would want to react. Um, we have us then like we've created a subset of the executive team that meets two to three times a week. So we're constantly triaging it. Everyone's sharing updates. You know, we have our CFO looking externally at the state of the economy and what's happening there. We have me looking internally at all of the employee feedback, me looking externally at trends in what other companies are doing and reacting to different things. So we keep triaging this and, and course correcting in a very agile manner on a constant basis. So we are changing our approach by hours and by days, literally. Um, and, and I like that the agility of how we're approaching it. Um, I think, you know, when I think of our decisions, ultimately, we, we have two principles that, that have guided us right from the beginning and kind of continue to guide us. And that helps make decision making faster. Um, one of them is like the well-being of our sneakers is paramount. So if that meant we stopped global travel earlier than everyone else, if it meant we moved to remote work earlier than everyone else, like all of that, th there was no compromising on the well-being of our of our sneaker community, right? And one one classic example is was suddenly all these parents, which is more than 50% of our sneakers, had their kids at home all of a sudden and didn't know how to deal with that. And we went out and very explicitly said, hey, look, this is a time of crisis and it's family first. So focus on your family, focus on what you need to do, focus on your well-being and that of your kids. And then if you have time, whatever cycles you have, we are, I mean, we do need to keep the company afloat. So we're grateful for whatever you can give back and please do, um, but like family first. And just putting that out there, the amount of relief and gratitude we've got from people that we just recognize that 
individually and personally they were in crisis, right? Um, so that's one. It's the well-being of our sneakers. But the other one is a larger responsibility to society as a whole. And this guides a ton of what we do, whether it's through the donations we're making, whether it's through, and I see it a, a lot of times, there's a ton of links circulating within our Slack channels about how you can volunteer. Like they're looking for engineers, they're looking for data crunchers, they're looking for design architects. So all of, like we have a ton of specialists that can spend their time helping further the cause, helping relief efforts across the world. And so so just with that, when I think of our own policies, the decision to move to remote, the decision to enforce social distancing way before governments required it, it was part of us saying, hey, look, this is our responsibility to society at large, right? It's not convenient for us as a company, but it's the right thing to do for our sneakers and our society. So it's like, it's those moments, every time a tough decision has come up, we've always gone back to these principles and that that suddenly makes it not a tough decision anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. And I think, you know, you're right, like having employee, I mean, I, it's one of the questions that I heard a lot, uh, particularly, you know, I think we're at the end of, uh, of week two for most people, at least in the U.S., you know, working from home, uh, mostly with, you know, with their kids. And so I think a lot of HR leaders were, uh, I saw a lot of people talking about, you know, how are how are companies treating that and how are they um, adapting to that? And are they creating any policies around that? And then I was, you know, I was in one thread where it was just like, if there's ever a time to not have a policy, it's this, like, this is not a policy situation. Like this is a human situation. This is an empathetic situation. Like we have to understand what our employees are going through and what they're facing and be there for them and, 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 and honor those feelings that they have and realize like, of course, you know, work needs to get done. Um, but the idea that we can just kind of, you know, flip, you know, turn everything upside down and expect employees to still be hitting the same kind of milestones and productivity expectations, this is not realistic. So it's refreshing to hear how you've thought about that, um, you know, with your sneaker population as this unfolded. Um, the, the, the shift to uh, obviously most employees sounded like about 75 percent, you know, came into an office. Now they're not. You know, what was that? transition like and kind of what what technology and tools are you using to support um, this this new kind of remote work uh, transition yeah well we were from a tool and infrastructure perspective we were well set up from the beginning right so we a lot of our communication was asynchronous so we use the the usual suspects we use slack we use zoom we use um, as a kind of wiki slash intranet we use notion where a lot of people use yep. confluence but it's very similar um, we use Google Suite. I mean, so all the standard collaboration tools, we already had them in place and we already had a culture of using them. So, so infrastructure is probably the easiest part of moving to a work from home. The, the harder part was this cultural element of actually like just losing the water cooler conversations and the chatter. Yeah. Like any office we walked into, it was just, there's, there's a high energy exuberance in our office. And so suddenly that dip, um, so I think it's that combined with isolation, right? So we're not even telling people work from home. We're saying stay in your home and maybe only go out once a day. That's a very extreme thing for people to adjust to. 
Um, so we've kind of tried to cater to it in a bunch of different ways. Um, first is we, we very early on, we created guides for both employees and managers on work from home. And this isn't like, this isn't our brainchild. We adapted it to the sneaker environment, but there's honestly companies like Zapier as an instance that have done this before and we could use their precedence as a guide. So we're always grateful to other companies that open source their information. Um, but the most amazing part in this was honestly, when we moved to total work from home or remote work, it was watching our remote employees themselves who had been a minority so far and sometimes struggled to get you know, a voice at the table. Um, all of a sudden, they stepped up. They were offering advice. They were offering support. They were offering emotional support to help others adjust to that environment. It was amazing to watch. And it was kind of beautiful just sitting back and and watching the strength of this culture and community that we were all building kind of show itself in this moment of crisis. You know, I always think the, the situation is best managed if the people team kind of doesn't need to get involved and if it happens organically amongst the employees themselves because that's when you know a culture is really strong. So just watching that was cool. Um, I think, you know, what started off as a remote work challenge, like how do you keep people engaged and how do you get them used to working from home with tools, culture, process, et cetera, suddenly became a human challenge, right? They like it. So it was like people having their kids at home, people having parents at home that they're caring for, that they're nervous about, people suffering from isolation. So, so I think we very quickly pivoted from, hey, how do we increase productivity um, and remote work into something that was much more about how do we engage people emotionally? So like for, for those that employees that are stuck in their own apartments, so like where there's a fear of isolation, we are actually seeing employees organically coming together. We're having remote karaoke sessions, remote talent shows, daily coffee chats, remote gaming competitions. Just today, we had a remote surprise birthday party for the founder and uh, president of our company. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to do a whole bunch of things that are trying to cater to both people who have their kids at home and so are under stress of like a lot of people stuck together in one little space and then people who are isolated and actually have no one and have the stress of, of just that isolation. But uh, our focus is purely, not purely, but very dominantly right now on these human impacts as opposed to how do we gain productivity? Because that's happening on its own and we feel very comfortable with that area. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I think uh, it's interesting, like the, the whole idea of having a workplace team that's usually focused on physical locations. And now mm -hmm. it's all about kind of making, you know, maintaining connections and finding like lots of those programs, like you mentioned, um, to keep employee engaged. And obviously understanding that different employees based on their own circumstances are going to be in different places and have different needs. Um, you know, and so I think it, it's great that you're thinking about it that way. What, you know, in terms of, of internal communications, what, you know, how has it changed your uh, internal comms kind of cadence? What kind of um, frequency methods, et cetera, are you using to keep your employees, um, you know, just abreast of, of what's happening? Yeah, we actually double down on communications. I'd say this is the one thing that that very early in this process, we were like, we just need to over communicate till people are sick of hearing. But like, we don't want any one person being lost in, in the midst of everything, right? So we definitely have Slack and there's a ton of chatter on Slack and we keep a good pulse on that um, and feel like employees are very engaged. You can see it from the level of activity. 
But then the other thing we did is the executive team now does weekly AMA or Ask Me Anything sessions where they give all hands updates as well. So we moved that to a weekly cadence where we used to have it monthly. We have weekly meetings with our managers where they can ask us questions, but we also disseminate a ton of information. So a lot of what we're trying to do is just empower our managers with as much information as possible because we're trying to move the activity and decision-making to be as close to the front lines um, as we possibly can. We've kind of doubled down on two different newsletters that go out weekly, one from the people team, one with business updates. Um, So, you know, and at first when we pulled this cadence together, I looked at it and I was like, wow, that's a lot. Like this is, we're inundating people. But every time I talk to employees and I kind of ask them, they're just grateful. All of them are like, no, right now, this is the kind of communication we need. We, we, you know, just thank you for everyone for putting the effort into it. So it made me realize how easy it is to underestimate when you're in the planning process, when you're the person who's actually in the planning decision, you kind of feel like all this stuff is obvious out there and we're we're spamming people and we're doing too much. But when you're the at the other end, when you're the recipient of all this, it's such a different perspective and experience. So I keep asking people and, and you know, it's, right now it seems like this level of over-communication is really what people need and what they're hanging on to. And let's, you know, last question for you, Dipti. When you think about, uh, obviously a lot of listeners are uh, the peers of yours, they're HR leaders who are kind of working to guide their own companies, uh, you know, organizations and teams through this. What advice would you have for people leaders who are, are you know, really, you know, wanting to, um, make the most, you know, impact and support for their their companies and their teams. It's a good question. Um, I would say, don't get caught in reactive. Like, take your head above water long enough and often enough that you can anticipate what's coming down the pike and prepare for it. Like, I, we as an executive team, and including myself, spend a significant proportion of our time just externally focused, like identifying what's happening in the industry, what's happening with other companies, reaching out to our VC partners to find out what what what's going on in kind of the economy at large. Like that's the stuff that allows us to get ahead of it. So we're not kind of backfooted or not in this reactive mode. So if there's any piece of advice, I'd say like um, offense is your best defense. Try and keep ahead of it. Great. Well, Dipti, thanks so much for for coming on, for sharing your experience and uh, certainly for contributing to the open source guide. Uh, I know a lot of people and I'm glad you're getting the feedback from uh others who are benefiting from it. So thanks for your leadership on on open source and uh, everything else. And I really appreciate you sharing your approach and definitely want to wish you the best as this continues to unfold. Thank you, Lars. And the same to you. And thank you for you're the one who pulled the document together in the first place. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.